Well, as we finish this sermon series, Thanks and Giving, let me invite your attention to Acts chapter 11, His Church Matters. I want to begin the message today with three statements. They're not going to be on the outline, but they're convictional statements for me when it comes to the Lord, but also His church, and specifically us here at First Baptist Church. Here's what I know. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but I also love His church. And one of the things I know again the Lord Jesus has been very good to First Baptist Church, Clarksville, Tennessee. 191-year history, the Lord has been faithful. He has been good. He's provided every need this church has ever had. Mountaintops and valleys, the Lord has been there faithful every single time. The Lord is good to this church and to us as his people. So as I think about that, I think about Dr. Billy Graham one time was doing a crusade overseas. He was meeting with a group of reporters, and the reporters were asking him a number of questions. And one of the reporters said to him, Dr. Graham, I really want to make a statement to you. And Dr. Graham always graciously said, what is the statement? And he said, your crusades you're doing in our city, they're putting the church back 200 years. And Dr. Graham simply said, I apologize. We never intended to put the church back 200 years. And always quick on his feet, Dr. Graham said, in fact, we didn't want to put the church back 200 years. Our desire was to put the church back 2,000 years, uh, to be like the early church. And so we're going to look, when we think about giving, we always need to remember this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world, who lived a perfect, sinless life and died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, is gloriously alive today. He gave his life for the church. The Bible says you and I have been bought with a price, and that is the life and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about giving, we think about his church matters because he gave his life and everything for you and for me and his bride called the church. Now, as we think about this, I want to ask you this question. Is our church, is our church a healthy church? You may say it is. You may say, I'm not for sure. I don't even know how to answer that question. You may say, I don't think so. But is our church a healthy church? Now, to put that in perspective, let me ask you this question. Whether you're a kid, a student, or an adult, a part of this church, is your relationship and your walk with the Lord Jesus, is your relationship and walk with him healthy? Because if our church is going to be healthy, then you need to be healthy in your relationship with him as well. Here's why. Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not simply bricks and mortar. The, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have trusted Christ, put their faith in him, turned from their sins, the called out ones, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if the church is going to be healthy, then you and I need to be healthy as well. What is the church? Well, I just shared that. The church is not about buildings. The church is people. It's the called out ones. Those who have turned from their sin, put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are the church. Again, if this building wasn't here next week, we pray it is, we can still meet together and still be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are his people. Now, as you think about the church, you think about the church being healthy, I want to encourage you to lean into this message because I'm going to share some realities about church health and about church life, that his church matters, that will be important for us as the church. Also, the more you lean in, the shorter my sermons generally are. And so you'll want to lean in pretty close today because I want to talk about some realities here about the Lord's church. And I just encourage you even now that the Lord's church matters 
and he is still calling people to follow him in leadership. And so I just encourage you, in the invitation time, in the room of those who are watching online, if the Lord's calling you to be saved, obey him. The Lord's calling you to be baptized, obey him. The Lord's calling you to join the fellowship of our church, obey him. The Lord's calling you into ministry and to say yes to his call, obey him. Now, the Lord's leading you to forgive another brother or sister in Christ, obey him. The Lord calls you to this altar to pray for this church body, this church family, that we will be healthy and obedient to him, obey the leadership of the Lord. As you and I think about the church, we, we think about why are some churches growing, why are other churches declining. We see that all around us. We think about the church in Antioch. It's one of my favorite New Testament local churches. And when I think about this church, it's interesting in the city being in Antioch, this church experienced rapid growth. Probably historians would have looked at it and said, probably it's not going to be the city where, where the church is going to grow. Why? Because you look at the city of Antioch. It's one of the three largest cities in the Roman Empire, Alexandria, Rome, and then Antioch. It's interesting about the city, probably 500 to 800,000 residents in this city. It was, a, it was a coastal city, so it was key to trade. Ships would come in so merchandise could move from place to place. But here's the interesting part about Antioch. It was a city that had a lot of religious practice, but it was also a city that had sexual immorality that was evident. And here's the interesting part. You still see this around the world. Thank the Lord it's not a part of our church culture, but around the world, they make a connection. They link religious practice and sexual immorality together, and that's what you see in the city of Antioch. And no one would have probably thought, this is going to be a place where the Lord is going to grow his church. But we understand where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And so the Lord is at work even in the city of Antioch. And we look at the sin in our culture around us, and God is still desiring to grow and unify his church. He's still at work. Now, as you and I think about the church, again, we want to understand why do some churches grow and why do some churches decline? Uh, I'm going to give you some seven realities here in just a moment from the church in Antioch that apply to you and me today when we think about our church, when you think about giving. But I want you to write down these two things. Why did the church in Antioch experience rapid growth? I want to give you these two words. The first word is leadership. The church in Antioch experienced rapid growth because of leadership. Specifically, they were following the leadership of the Lord. And so as leaders followed the leadership of the Lord, they were leading God's people. And so as they obeyed him and they were leading other people and they were obeying as well, God was growing and multiplying his church in Antioch. It was a leadership issue. Second word is focus. They never lost their focus. They kept the main thing the main thing. They continued to fellowship together. They continued to share the gospel. They continued to make disciples. It was a focus issue. They never lost their focus where their focus got on issues that never mattered. They stayed focused to the mission that God had given them. So because of leadership and focus, the church in Antioch literally exploded in growth in many ways. Now we look at churches declining today and dying. Here's the issue. Oftentimes, it's a leadership issue. They're not following the leadership of God. They're not following the leadership of God's servants. It's a leadership matter. And then oftentimes, they're declining or dying because it's a focus issue. They're not focused on the main thing. They're focused on things that at the end of the day simply do not matter. 
But their focus needs to be, God, here's the mission you've given us. Here's the great commandment and the great commission, and we're seeking to carry those out. So growing churches, it's about leadership. It's about focus. Now, over the next number of minutes, I'm going to walk through these seven realities from the church in Antioch that relate to you and me because, again, the Lord gave his life for the church, and he wants us to be faithful to the church as well. So how can our church continue to be healthy, united, and growing spiritually and numerically according to God's word? I want to give you these realities. Number one, embrace surrender. As you and I think about churches, again, we look at churches and think, why are churches declining? Why are many churches dying? Churches close their doors every year in the United States. Why is that the case? Here's why. There's a lack of surrender among the people of God in those churches. And you look at churches that are declining or dying, they have members who aren't consistent in attending. They're not consistent in giving, nor are they consistent in participating. We see it again and again in churches. But God calls his people, just as Jesus on Good Friday surrendered his life and died on a cross, he's asking us as his followers, as his people, that we would surrender our lives and follow him as well. Now, as we look at that, you look at the text here, the Bible says, and now those who were scattered, why were they scattered? The early believers in Antioch, why were they scattered? They, they weren't scattered. They weren't moving out because they didn't like the style of the music. Uh, they weren't scattered because they didn't like the temperature in the room. Uh, they weren't scattered because they didn't like the style of the preacher. Uh, they weren't scattered because they didn't like the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls. Here's why. They were scattered, the Bible says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. And, and, then here's, and they traveled far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. These were individuals who they were scattered because they were persecuted. Please understand, they were all in. Th these individuals, they were not criminals, they were not evil. They were faithful to Christ. They refused to compromise their convictions about the Lord and their relationship with Him. And because of that, they were persecuted, they were scattered. And as they scattered, they remained faithful to Christ. Here's what I know. If our church is going to continue to be healthy and we're going to go to another spiritual level, when you think about giving, our church must be faithful in living surrendered lives. We must be all in. We can't compromise our convictions. We can't live casual or nominal. We have to be all in and surrendered. Now, when you look at this, I'm not asking this because I'm your pastor, not asking it because of the deacons or the staff, but look at these three things. When you evaluate your relationship with Jesus Christ, how do you relate yourself? How do you even score yourself on these three things? When, is the Lord pleased with, I'm going to give you these three. One, your attendance. Is the Lord pleased with your attendance in this church? If we're going to be healthy and we're going to grow and we're going to go to another level, are you faithful to Christ, but are you also faithful to his church? Are you faithful in attending when we gather as the people of God? Number two, your giving. Are you, is he pleased with your giving? You have an income. Are you giving faithful to him? Are you honoring him? Whether you're a child, a student, adult, whatever income you have, you may get an allowance, you may have other income. Are you faithful to him in giving? Are you surrendered to him, even when it comes to giving? And then three is your participation. Are you participating in the fellowship of the church? Here's what we find in many churches. 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. 
20% of the people give about 80% of what's needed in the fellowship of the church. If we're going to grow and we're going to be healthy and we're going to see God do amazing things, we have to be surrendered to him in attendance and giving and participation. And participation means praying, studying, learning God's word, serving him in so many ways. But are you faithful and surrendered to him? Here's a question I would ask us. Are we more surrendered to sports? Are we more surrendered to entertainment? Are we more surrendered to possessions than we are to him? And that's something you have to evaluate in your own heart and your own life. And when I look at my life, Lord, I want to be surrendered to you in attending. I want to be surrendered to you in giving. And I want to be surrendered to you in participating. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, living up in the Cincinnati area, there was a guy in a church, he was a leader in a church, said, hey, would you, would you want to do something with me? And I said, absolutely, if I can, I'd love to. And he said, well, Cincinnati Bengals got a Thursday night football game playing the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I'd like to take you to the football game with me. Cincinnati, Paul Brown Stadium said, I'd love to go with you. We go there on a Thursday night in November. It was cold and raining and miserable. And you, and you realize, they don't have a dome over that stadium. You're out in the elements. You're out there where, where it's all happening at. 60,000, 70,000 people in the stadium. And I'm sitting there watching this football game about to freeze to death, thinking, Lord Jesus, either come back now or get me back home, one or the other. Because this is miserable out here. But I, but I sat there, and then the Holy Spirit convicted me because all these people around me, they seemed to be having a lot more fun than I did, but they were drinking something that I wasn't drinking as well. And, and then I realized, Lord, now if this was a worship gathering, if we were here to adore you and to share the word and to sing to you, would this place be full or would we give so many excuses and say, I'm not going to be out there in that cold weather. I'm not going to sit out there in the rain for that. Are we surrendered to Jesus Christ? Let me get a little more personal. Just a few weeks ago, I watched the University of Tennessee and the University of Georgia game on television. Athens, Georgia. 93,000 people in attendance at that game. It was a great game. But somewhere during the game, rain started to come down pretty hard. And I sat there at the television again, convicted by the Holy Spirit, and thought, well, how many of those people are going to say, I'm not going to stare in the rain, I'm going to leave and go home? Probably some did. But as I sat there and watched the television, I saw the stadium look still pretty full to me. People be willing to sit out in the rain to watch a football game. Are we surrendered to Jesus Christ in the Christian life? Church, if our church is going to be healthy and we're going to be faithful to make disciples around the nations, we must live surrendered lives. It's not optional. Surrendered in our attendance, surrendered in our giving, surrendered in our participation. Is the Lord pleased with those areas in your life? Not as your pastor pleased, not are your deacons pleased, not as the staff pleased. Is the Lord pleased with your life and your commitment and your surrender in those areas? The believers in Antioch persecuted, but they were all in because they were faithful. Number two, share Jesus. Now, I want to I ask you this, and I want you to respond with amen. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you know that he saved you, forgiven you, you're born again, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Would you say amen this morning? Amen. 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 That's exactly right. That's the way it should be. That's exactly right. Now, I set you up just a little bit. 
Because if you said amen, then you are responsible to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Now, there, there are some people who have the gift of evangelism. It just comes natural for them. It's easy for them to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. But the call of evangelism is on every single person who just said amen in this room. If you know Christ and you know his story, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his, his burial in a tomb, but his glorious resurrection, you know his story, then you are responsible, just like I'm responsible, to share Jesus with other people. Let me fill in these two blanks. As we share Christ with people, what are we doing? One, are we building bridges? Or number two, are we building barriers? We're going to do one of the two. We're going to build bridges or we're going to build barriers. Now notice in this text, they were scattered because they were persecuted. They traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so there was their context in that. So when you would speak to a Jewish person, you would talk about Christ, the anointed one. But in this context, it goes on to say, but they were speaking to, to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They were talking to Greeks, so they didn't share in the language about Christ, the anointed one. They talked about the Lord Jesus. They spoke in the language of the people. They knew how to share the gospel. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to turn an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation? When you look at your relationships, family members, neighbors, friends, coworkers, classmates, are you turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations? Are you praying to share Jesus with people? When I'm out in public and I'm around people and I look at somebody, I often think, is that person going to heaven or is that person going to hell? Which one is it in that person's life? Because I want to be faithful to live a surrendered life, but also I want to be faithful to share Christ with people I'm around. I don't want to build barriers to people. I want to build bridges to people. So if our church is going to be healthy and we're going to continue to grow, we must have gospel conversations. We must be sharing Jesus with other people. So are you sharing Christ with other people in your life? Bridges or barriers? I've probably shared this story with you, but it's so relevant, I want to share it again. Because we desire to reach the next generation, preschoolers and kids and students, college students. But when you look at that generation, are we building bridges or barriers to that generation? We, we were doing a ministry on Northern Kentucky University campus one night, and we were going to be feeding them hot dogs, chips, and cookies, and something to drink. College students love free food. And so they, they were coming out to get free food. We were grilling out hot dogs and giving it away. And so we were engaging students in conversations. Our, ch our church facility just a couple miles from the university, so we were right down the road. And so there was one young girl came, and Angie and I engaged her in a conversation. And we asked her where she was from. She told us. We asked her how long she had been at NKU. She told us. We asked a few more questions about her life. And then we asked her this, are you engaged with the church on Sunday morning? And she said she wasn't. And we said, is there a reason behind that? And she said, well, I work on Sundays. So I'm not able to do that. And then my next question, where do you work at? She said she worked at a restaurant literally right down from our church facility. I ate lunch there often with other people. And I said, well, I imagine working on Sunday is pretty tough. And she said, it's the worst day of our week. And I said, now, why would you say that? Why would you say Sunday is the worst day of your week in the restaurant world? And here's what she said. She said, I don't really want to tell you. 
I said, now why? And I said, she said, it might offend you. And I said, I promise you, tender heart, thick skin, we can, we can take it. And she said, here's what we find in the restaurant world. Sundays are our hardest day because church people are the rudest and cheapest people that we serve all week long in the restaurant world. She said, I hate it. And I said, I thank you for your honesty. And I thank you for your transparency. And I said to her, can I say something to you? And she said, sure. I said, I want to apologize for those of us who just got out of church and came to a restaurant and we were rude and we were stingy. I said, the truth of the matter is those who just left a worship gathering should be the kindest and most generous people you meet all week long in the restaurant world. Why? Because he gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. He's victorious over the grave for us. We've been bought with a price. He saved us. He's changed us. Why wouldn't we be generous in life? Why wouldn't we be kind to people? question is, are we building bridges or barriers to people? The church in Antioch, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Why? Because they were building bridges with people, not barriers to people. Church, I encourage, when we get out of here and go to restaurants here in a little bit, be kind, be generous, build bridges with people in the Christian life so that you can share the gospel with people who need a relationship with him. I hope we realize there are preschoolers and kids and students, college students, they need Jesus Christ. And who's going to share Christ with them? It'll be us. Let's share Jesus with people. If our church is going to be healthy, we're going to go to the next level. Share Jesus with people. Number three, welcome change. Now, now I realize in, in the Baptist church, there are certain words that don't go over very well. I mean, like a, a few weeks ago, we talked about shouting. That, that's a hard word. A few weeks after that, we talked about dancing. That's a hard word. But then the word change comes up, and that gets us a little bit tense. You think, what is going to change in our church? Please, I'm not talking about changing the worship style. I'm not talking about changing the preaching style. I'm not talking about changing the carpet, changing the paint on the walls. I'm not changing any of those things. I'm talking about welcome change, that when Jesus changes the lives of people, their lives radically change. Let's welcome change. Because in this context, look what happened. That they were preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them. Folks, I want the hand of the Lord on my life. I pray the hand of the Lord is on our church. I don't want to do what we do out of the flesh. I want to do it out of the spirit that the hand of the Lord would be upon us. And so here the believers are in Antioch. They were preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They were repenting of their sins, trusting Jesus to be saved. And what does that mean? Their lives were radically changed. Look at these two questions. Number one, what happened when Jesus was preached? Well, when Jesus was preached, he was exalted. He changed the lives of people. There were boys and girls and men and women in Antioch who got saved, radically saved. And they turned from their sins and they trusted Christ to be saved. Don't you want to see people change in the Christian life? Folks, I want to see kids change. I want to see students change. I want to see adults change. I want to see marriages change, families change. I want to see our church change. I want to see our community change. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is bearing fruit in the lives of people. Welcome change. And then here's the big question. Number two, are you and I praying for God to bring change? 
Wouldn't you want to see this church? Wouldn't you be grateful to see a whole group of college students in this service, students in this service, kids in this service? Why? Because the gospel is bearing fruit and changing lives. For the glory of God, we'd want to do that. So, so the church in Antioch, they're welcoming change. Why? Because the Lord is changing the lives of people. I am thankful to God that he changed my life as a young boy. I'm thankful I could go back through story after story of how he's changed my life. You could say the same thing. Change is not a bad word in the Baptist church. Let's pray that he would change more and more lives around us, including our own. Number four, partner together. As you and I look at this story, you think about First Baptist Church and you say, what are people around us saying about our church? Are they saying that we are a church that worships God? There's a church, there's a group of believers there serious about worshiping God in spirit and truth. Would they say that we know how to love people, love people who are in our city, but love people around the world? Would they say we're quick to share the gospel with people? They are turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Would they say that we're a church that's making disciples where people are infants in Christ, but they're growing in their relationship with them? What are people saying about our church? In this story, here's what happened in the church in Antioch. It says, the people turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. I mean, word got back to Jerusalem. You hear what God's doing down in Antioch. Lives are being changed. People are surrendering their lives. They're sharing Jesus. God is on the move. That was the word that came to the church in Jerusalem. What are people saying about our church? And then as you look at these, number one, God's grace is still amazing. I love this phrase. One of my favorite phrases in the New Testament is this phrase, when he came, came to Antioch, and saw the grace of God. Folks, when we gather as a church, as God's people, as he's called us to, do we see evidence of the grace of God at work? You say, well, how will I know that? Well, well I can tell you how you'll know that. If you see people saved, you see evidence of the grace of God. Because no one gets saved on his or her own merit. It's the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you see people stepping up and say, count on me to serve, God's going to quit me and I want to be used of God, you see the evidence of the grace of God on display. And when you see people just like you and me going through adversities and storms and trials in life, and you wonder at days if you're going to survive and am I ever going to get through this? Is this storm ever going to end? And you survive and you even thrive through that. Please, you're seeing evidence of the grace of God at work. So when he went to Antioch, he saw the grace of God. When people come to First Baptist, I pray they see the grace of God at work because God's grace is still amazing. And then number two, you're needed. When you look at this, Barnabas goes down to Antioch. He sees the grace of God. He exhorted him to remain faithful to the Lord, steadfast purpose, gives some insight about his life, just a godly man. And he, what did he do? He went to look for Tarsus, to look for Saul. Why Barnabas knew there's no way I'm going to be able to take care of all these needs on my own. I need help. And he went to find Saul, again, a testimony of God's grace, who was saved on the road to Damascus, ultimately became Paul. And they met together and they worked with the people of God and taught them for a year. Let me say this today to you as a church. His church matters. As your pastor, I need the ministry team and the staff of this church. 
as your pastor, I need the deacon leadership of this church. And as your pastor, we all need you in the fellowship of this church. You know why? Because there's too much ministry for a few of us. You are needed to serve in this church. Not just to sit still, not just to remain on the sidelines, but to serve and to use the giftedness that God's given you to make a difference. You're needed in this church. His grace is amazing, and you're needed. Number, number five, make disciples. In this context, here's the interesting part. It says they, that for a whole year they met with the church, taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Look at these two statements. Number one, we don't exist to focus merely on decisions. We focus on, number two, we're called to make disciples. That's the heart of who we are. Are we making disciples? Not merely focused on decisions, making disciples. Learners and followers of Christ. I read a story one time about Kate Middleton. Uh, you, you're going to know her from British royalty and those things. But, but it, the story was about how many people were having surgeries, nose surgeries, because they wanted their nose to look like Kate Middleton's nose. That's a real thing. And I read that story and I thought, well, here's the interesting part. Number one, I imagine that's pretty painful. And number two, I imagine that's pretty expensive. But people, because they wanted to look like Kate Middleton, were willing to go through pain and expense to be able to do that. And then again, how the Holy Spirit works, I was convicted because the goal of the Christian life is to look like Jesus, not Kate Middleton. And then I thought, Lord, are we willing to go through pain? Are we willing to sacrifice in order to look like Jesus? Church in Antioch, make disciples. First Baptist Church, make disciples. Number six, live generous. So you look at this story. There was this famine that was foretold. Agabus came down. It's going to be a difficult time financially. And lives are going to be affected because of this famine. And you see the generosity in this church. When you and I think about our Heavenly Father, is He stingy or is He generous? John 3.16 shouts the generosity of God. Philippians 4.19 shouts the generosity of God. Ephesians 3.20 and 21 shouts the generosity of God. He is so generous to you and me, but are you and I generous as well? Look at these questions. Number one, is the Lord pleased with the amount of time you spend with Him? Is He pleased with that in your life? You could be, again a kid, a student, or an adult? Is he pleased with the amount of time you spend with him? Number two, are you giving him your best, what's left over, or what you don't need? He wants us to give him our best. Generosity. The more we become like Christ, the more generous we are in life. This church was a generous church. Our church needs to be a generous church because the more we're like him, the more generous we are. Then number seven, model trust. I want to finish here because this is a major statement. They gave this offering. It was based on, everybody didn't give the same, it was based on their ability to give, it says. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Trust. Big word. There are a number of things I just don't do in ministry, and, and, and I'm okay with that. I think it's wise to, 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 to live the way that I do. I don't go out and have a meal alone with another lady unless Angie or somebody else is present. I don't get in a car with another lady and go somewhere without Angie or other people present. 
And then also, I don't handle money. If I, somebody tries to give money, I'll find somebody else and, and let's, let's put it in their hands. Why? Because they're trustworthy. I just want to live above reproach, and so I don't do that. And here's what I know. Uh, when I look at our church, and I appreciate the tithes and offerings that we give, we have trustworthy people in our church who handle the tithes and offerings of this church. There's checks and balances, there's accountability procedures that we want to make sure that when we give, we use the highest character and integrity in everything that we do with finances. Why? Because we want to model trust. And they gave this offering and they put it in the hands of Barnabas and Saul because they were trusted men of God. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, trust is essential. You're going to have a healthy family, trust is essential. You're going to have a healthy church. Trust is essential. I went to a church and pastored. We'd been there three weeks. And a couple in the church invited us out for dinner one night. We went to a nice restaurant down on the river. And we were going to have dinner. And the honeymoon in that church didn't last very long. Just really about three weeks and it was over. Short, short honeymoon in that church. Uh, but, but we saw God move, and it was good. So we were sitting at this nice restaurant having dinner with this couple. And, and I knew somewhere the conversation was going to change. I just didn't know where it was going to happen at. So we're sitting there having dinner, and finally the gentleman said, I, I'd really like to talk to you about why I want to have dinner with you. And I said, I was anticipating it, so I'm ready for it. What do you want to talk about? I've been there three weeks as his pastor. And then he started going through how he had been hurt in this church. And he shared story after story of how he'd been hurt and wounded. And he was still hurt and wounded. And it was pain for me to sit there and listen to him as he did that. And uh, because, again, I've, we'd been there three weeks. And, and so I knew somewhere the transition was going to happen again in this conversation. He's talking about past of the church. He'd been hurt and wounded and still wounded and hurt. And then he paused and then he transitioned the conversation. And he said this. I'll never forget his words in that dinner meeting that night. He said... I want you to know this. I said, be interested in knowing. He said, I want you to know I'll never trust another pastor in my life. And then he took his finger and he pointed at me and he said, and that includes you. A honeymoon in that church didn't last long. Three weeks and that's about it. Now, when he said that, it broke my heart. But, but please understand, when, it, when he said that, I, I, didn't, I didn't get angry with him. When he said that, I didn't become defensive with him. And when he said that, I knew he doesn't even know me. I've only been here three weeks. He doesn't know me at all. It was a trust issue. But I said to him, and I think the Holy Spirit led me to say these words to him. I called him by his name. And I said, I appreciate you sharing that with us. It's painful to hear. I hate that happening in your life. But I said, but here's my prayer for you. Because I know someday in your life you're going to need this, and this is what I'm praying for you. I said, I hope somewhere the Lord heals your heart and you can trust another pastor again. doesn't have to be me. But somewhere in your life, I don't know what day, I don't know the hour, I don't know when, but you're going to need the trust of another pastor again in your life. And I hope the Lord heals your heart and your spirit that you can trust God's servant again somewhere in your life. It's a trust issue trust issue. I want us to bow together as we pray. Are you surrendered to him? You're giving and you're attending and you're Are you surrendered to him? Are you all in?
Not are we pleased with it, is he pleased with it. And I just want to encourage you, if you need to give your life to Christ, trust him. You need to be baptized, obey him. You, you need to join the fellowship of our church, step out and come forward today. Make that decision. God's calling you to surrender to ministry, do it. But I want to encourage you, if you need to come to this altar and fill this altar up again today, praying for our church to be healthy, united, obedient to him, would you come and pray for our church and just say, God, in a day where churches are struggling, we want to be a church that's growing spiritually and numerically. We want to be a church that's building bridges with people, not barriers to people. And we want to be a church that people are hearing about what you're doing here literally around the world. Would you surrender to him? Because his church matters. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. He surrendered everything for us. And Father, today in this worship time, we're asking, Lord, are we surrendering everything to you? Are you pleased with our commitment to you? And Father, I pray today with decisions that need to be made, I pray for people who need to come and pray for our church that we will be a church, oh Lord, that you use to make much of Jesus around the world. And it begins by praying and seeking your face. So Lord Jesus, we surrender all to you. I pray it's not just a song we sing today, but it's the life that we live. Because you gave everything for us, we'll give everything for you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this today in your name. Amen. <laughs>